Let us pray. Lord God, it is not hard to know the signs of these times, but help us to read the signs of your times and to know that we follow your signs. Amen. Please be seated. So after that gospel, all I can say is, wow. On first hearing, the gospel today has that ring of the end times to it. Sounds a little like one of those left-behind novels, doesn't it? Those always make me a little nervous. So I considered preaching on one of the other readings. (laughs) But Jeremiah was busy condemning all the false prophets, and the cloud of witnesses in Hebrews must have endured 19 different kinds of trauma to get there. So, wherever we go today, we end up in the fire. We might as well circle back to the Gospel of Luke. Which is to say that we might need to set our first impressions aside and listen to it again. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled Jesus tells this crowd that has been following him for 49 verses. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Now, with that image of fire, Jesus could be referring to God's judgment in the end times. Jesus has been telling his followers to be prepared for the bridegroom to show up or for the master to make an unexpected return. But I think at this point in the chapter, Jesus is leaving parables and stories behind and giving us a glimpse right into his own heart. And what we see is his longing for what is on the other side of that long trek to Jerusalem, what is on the other side of his death and his resurrection and his ascension, he's talking about what all those events will release into the world. And that is God's Holy Spirit. And he is acknowledging the disruption of power that that will cause. Jesus is longing for God's kingdom to come. And this is what Jeremiah is longing for as well, in a way, what Luke and his audience are longing for, what the author of Hebrews is longing for. Is it what we long for? I'm not sure under these terms if it means all this disruption Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? Jesus asks the crowd. No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided, three against two and two against three. And Jesus is again making me nervous here. Haven't we had far too many holy wars Too much violence in Jesus' name already? Yes, we have. So I don't think that that is what Jesus is longing for. 
I think that for Jesus, the violence that Christians do in his name feels a lot more like the cross than his kingdom. So what exactly does Jesus want to divide? It sounds like he has got something against the institution of the family. And I happen to believe that Jesus does not want loving families to be split apart and angry with one another. But he does have a problem with one kind of family because he's describing the household of Caesar. And that's a system in first century Greco-Roman rule that was very familiar to Luke's audience. The empire featured a vast household structure that was not based on love, but on patronage and oppressive power that went all the way from the father of Rome, Augustus, down to the lowliest slave. And that Roman extended family included natural children and adopted people and dependent clients and slaves. And the power was concentrated at the very top with the paternal figures at the top. Most everyone else had little or no agency in that system. And that's what predominated in those first century times in Palestine. Jesus had come to change those times and all times. In fact, there were already signs that God was doing something new in that disruptive era. Can his followers see them? Jesus wonders. Can Luke's audience pinpoint them? Can we? You hypocrites, Jesus chastises the crowds. You know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky. But why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Now, Jesus isn't talking about reading the weather or the newspaper to figure out what is happening. He's talking about reading the world for signs of the power and the transformative action of God. Jesus saw his very life as such a sign, one that would turn the established order upside down with its healing and authoritative preaching and insistence that God, not Caesar, was his father. And Jesus saw his impending death on the cross as such a sign because it would rob death of its power altogether. And he anticipated his resurrection and ascension to be such a sign because they would open up the way for the Spirit of God to enter the world the way fire does, in a sweeping path that changes everything it touches, a blaze of love. The author of Luke understood his community to be such a sign as well in the way it worshipped God and proclaimed Jesus and loved one another. And it understood itself to be a disruptive and disturbing sign in Greco-Roman culture, where there was no such thing as egalitarianism, where people didn't serve one another, where personal honor was everything at the expense of everyone 
underneath. Now, if Luke's community was a sign of the times then, we are a sign of the times now. If one of, one of the things that Jesus is longing for in this 12th chapter of Luke is us. He is longing for our relationship with him, for our faith in a saving God, for our lives lived in ways that disrupt the old empire and signal the presence of something new. If this is true, then what are we a sign of in this problematic time? Are we a sign of the good news of a loving God? of healing, transformative word, nonviolent resistance to evil structures? Are we a sign of the power of dying daily to the things that kill the soul and subvert love? Are we a sign of inclusion, courageous conversation, compassionate listening? Because those are signs of the divine will at play. They are signs of the presence of Christ, and they are the practice of those things as well. To be a sign of the presence of God in these times means that our faith will be showing. It will be recognizable as the thing that invites God's grace into our actions. And this will look ludicrous to those who like to explain away faith with appeals to reasonable doubt. And it will look foolish to those who can't tell the difference between faith and facts. Faith and hope, to follow up on Anne's sermon from last week, do not wrestle with whether there is a God and whether things happen just the way they say in the Bible. Biblical faith and hope work out of the givenness of God. They cooperate with the story of God as it makes itself known to us. Christian faith and hope work out of the givenness of Christ, out of a world changed by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and the release of the Holy Spirit within us. As the author of Hebrews describes it, the person of faith is already well into the race to the kingdom. And friends, that race is going to take us right into the fire. To fight the fire that is out there, you got to fan the fire that is in here. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled, Jesus declares. So I got to ask, what is that divine fire kindling in you in these times? What prayer is burning in you? If you don't have an answer to those questions right now, let them smolder a while. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, Jesus says, and what stress I'm under until it's completed. So I got to ask, what old ways 
are dying in you. As Christ invites you to something wildly new. What old stories no longer hold given the reality of these times? What are your eyes opening to for the first time? If it's not immediately clear to you, give it a long, hard look. Because this is what Christian faith feels like in troubling and vicious times. Like a fire. Like a baptism. Like God is doing something new. Like an old, old longing whose time has come. Amen.